This is the Brisbane Football Review with your host, James Coglin. One of these days, I will master the ability to complete a sentence. Scott Owen. Right, what would I know? I'm just the weekend host around here. And Adam Pace. Look, I think of what other choice you have. Starting now. Well, you know what? We're just going to keep coming back until the Raw get a win. Men, women, NPL, something. It is the latest edition of the Brisbane Football Review. Hello, everyone. It's James here, and I'm pleased to be joined on a beautiful, sunny Wednesday evening by Scott and Adam. As Well, I get the feeling your disposition won't be quite as sunny as the weather here in southeast Queensland, Scott. No, it won't. And we will keep coming back until the Raw do win a match, but we will not be counting eSports in that list either. So it's going to be a, a real football match on the field, James. Yes, something like that. Adam, how are you going? Yeah, it's a tough weekend uh, <laughs> uh, on, on many fronts. So, uh, yeah, but um, most concerningly, the uh, the Orange of Brisbane uh, at the moment are struggling. Yeah, it, has, it hasn't been a great start to the season. Um, we will discuss the two senior results for the Raw over the weekend, as frustrating as they were for well, on both accounts. Um, but before we do that, we'll do our usual plugs for the show. This is the Brisbane Football Review on Clutch Radio. Email, if you want to get in touch with us that way, brisbanefootballreview at gmail.com. Send in any comments, questions. Uh, we did get one about Alex Parsons last week. We're always happy to do our best to answer. Or if you've got something that uh, you'd like us to discuss on the show, that's a good way to get in touch, as is our Facebook page, The Raw Review, Twitter, at BNE Football. And on both of those pages, you can find live coverage of every senior Brisbane Raw match across the A-Leagues, as well as select National Premier League's Queensland fixtures as well. We are also on the A-League Live app, as well as our podcast on Wooshka, Spotify, iTunes, or I really need to stop calling it iTunes because I'm pretty sure it is called Apple Podcasts now. Adam, is that about right? I think so. I think they rebranded, but uh, I've still got an iTunes app, so I think we call iTunes until we're told not to. I still use the podcast app on my iPhone, so go figure. Scott, you have Android, so that explains your fairly blank <laughs> stare right about now. I've also told you many times, do not ask me any movie or music related, and this falls under one of those categories, so I haven't got a clue what you're talking about. So, I won't ask if you're excited for the new episode of Hawkeye that just got released. The what? It's Disney Plus Avengers sort of oh, thing. Dear. I just got I just got the notification. I look saying, forward to the A-League ground surrounding it in about three years and the complaints surrounding it as well. Yeah, because if there's one thing Australian football fans are, it is understanding and patient. But more on that later. We'll get to the source of the uh, wearing down of our patience right now as the raw... Went to Victoria for the third time in four weeks, and for the third time in four weeks, suffered a loss, and it was Connor Payne's 50th minute goal that gave John Aloisi and his side all three points in front of 2,845 points at GM HVA Stadium. And for the Raw, well, it started off with, you know, something encouraging. Juan Lascano was brought in to fill in for the injured Jack Hingett. And they reverted to the 4-3-3 shape, like we discussed on last week's episode. But, Scott, it still was more of the same from the Raw, wasn't it? Yeah, that's about where the positives kind of end, isn't it? Because it was very much more of the same. And look, the, the, the revamp formation was like which we, we hoped we would see, and it was good to see that. It just didn't work on Saturday afternoon. It's, they struggled to get going, and particularly with the ball, James, it was really, really tough to watch. There was very little in terms of creativity and attacking intent, attacking endeavour, or anything there, was it was very tough to watch, wasn't it? It really was, and that's probably the biggest concern out of all that as well. Some of the comments that came out from the Raw after the game, Adam, in that they were saying they need to get better in attack because, to me, it looked like a team that was almost playing scared. Yeah, I think that's where I think the the issues stem from is that there's just no there's just no cutting edge uh, in attack. It seems a time that you know it's it's the same old tried you know tired you know format as far as you know attack goes and look any team that's worth a grain of salt and does their video uh, have figured out a very very simple way of shutting down the roar and it's uh it's seemingly what you know West United have able to do and they they basically gave very very little um quarter to the roar to really have any room to attack and it, it really showed 
It really did. Um, and let's get to this early on uh, while I remember. This is what Warren Moon had to say after the match. Look, it's all we can do is work hard and keep pushing. You know, again, it's not great. We've now lost three games out of four. <clears throat> um, but if we start to panic now and, and change things drastically, you know, it's not going to help anyone. We've got to stay calm. We've got to find that first win starting next week at home to Perth uh, and just do the things that we do well. We didn't do that today. Um, we stayed in the game brilliantly, in my opinion. You know, we weren't poor in the first half, but we actually made some poor mistakes in poor areas of the park, which nearly gifted Western, you know, with, with, a, with a goal or two. We were brave in those moments and uh, hung in the game. And then to start the way we did in the second half to concede the goal was really disappointing. Um, and at that point, you're looking for more from, from our boys. And we should good passages of play, but, you know, no cutting edge. No one wanted to take a strike on goal. No one wanted to run 1v1 um, with, with their fullback and get in behind them. So that's where we need to improve. And that was the audio from The Raw. So overall, Scott, like for, for me, what was most frustrating is just the fact that you could very like even we from our you know couches could see what we thought the issue was, and then having those uh, sentiments echoed by Moon not only in the press conference but in his halftime interview saying you know they need to be brave and attack more. I'm left to ask the question: Is it the system that Moon is playing not fitting the players, or are the players fitting the system but just not executing at the moment? It's, at the moment, it looks like a confidence issue more than anything else. But I do think I don't think it's the system because the system hasn't really changed much from last year to this, and a lot of the players are very very similar. So I don't think it's that. I think it's more that I think it's more the latter. But you said there, James, about the players. I think, but to me, above all, it's the confidence. When you talk about being brave and taking the game on and pushing forward and trying to get past players and things like that's often confidence. And remember, remember when Ange Postecoglou went went crazy at them over at the Royal back in the day over in Perth at half time slamming the pen into the to the whiteboard and all the rest of it where he at the time used the words cowards in terms of the fact they weren't providing an option off the ball I think that's it's confidence it's a bit like that I'm not going to call them that by any stretch of the imagination but it's very much a confidence issue at the moment James to me yeah and, and, the, and until they get the result it's, it's that's what will turn around Cause remember last week when we were talking about would you rather the nil all draw Oh, the 4-3 where they at least score some goals and this is what I feared would happen is that they would would look like this again and that you would struggle to see where a goal is coming from yeah and that is um, I also go back to that uh, Postacoglu season where they won the double and you think back to I think it was round 3 the only game they lost that year against Melbourne victory they got played off the park in every way shape or form by the victory but Postacoglu was quite happy overall because he said no, we went down our way. We made the mistakes and we'll learn from it. But right now it seems like these games are being decided by fine margins. Save for that victory um, game back in round two. The Melbourne City game in round one, Adelaide in uh, round three, and now this one against Western United. It's such fine margins. You do wonder if the players know that, or the players are thinking, I don't want to be the one that makes that uh, crucial mistake. And, it, maybe it has just gotten into their heads a little bit. I, I think there's, a, there's probably a bit of that. I think a, a lot of it is a, is a mental uh, thing, especially uh, a, a, a sort of a new side and you know a lot of young players. Um, yeah, it's, it's almost like at the moment, it's like they make a mistake, they could be out of the squad next week. Um, whereas, you know, sometimes with young players, you've got to be prepared to let them make mistakes and you know, and learn from them. And at the moment, it seems though, because they're already on the back foot, it's, I think it's almost like they're afraid to, you know, take a chance, you know, you know, have a gamble, you know, at the, at the fear of, you know, of having a costly mistake, which will see the pressure piled on even more, and then, you know, potentially lose their spot, which to, to me is not, it's not a healthy culture. Um, I think, of course, you know, you don't, you don't want to play recklessly and needlessly, but I also think, you know, playing this conservative shell sort of site, you know, afraid to, afraid to lose sort of, you know, attitude, it is also self-defeating anyway, because as, as we saw in this game, all it takes is one moment and one moment of brilliance, and it's ball game. And on that as well, I, I, I honestly believe, based on, you know, the comments we've seen, like, Warren has given them the license to go and play, but it does feel like there's a bit 
like there is just that willingness to try and take something on and we have seen it in the cameos from the subs um lately like jez lofthouse and alex parsons in the last couple of weeks are two standout options but like i'd much rather be seeing the guys doing that from the start luke ivanovich has offered a little bit of that but just going through some stats and then we'll go to you scott for the raw 56 percent of possession on saturday eight attempts with one shot on goal and for Western United, it was 44% of possession, 19 attempts with six shots on goal. Now, look, if you do want to find one positive uh, from uh, this uh, match, it was defensively, I actually thought like the desperation shown by the Raw shows that there is that uh, hunger to try and you know make something happen. It's just a lot of that uh, went into trying to form essentially a wall as Western United sent wave after wave of attack. So what was that shots, the shots, the attempts or goals that Bobo for eight for the Raw and Hammy for Western? Nineteen. Yeah, that makes sense because Western had a lot of opportunities in that first half. Which, to be brutally honest, they did not capitalise on. I'm sure John Aloisi was incredibly frustrated at halftime that they weren't at least one goal up. But I do think I remember that one shot for the Raw was that the um, JOC chance late in the second half, which rolled, which was straight at straight at the keeper. Is that the shot on target? I th- I'm assuming so. I haven't got the uh, details yeah. on it there. It but, just um, seemed like they were really struggling to create clear-cut opportunities, wasn't it? That was a really big issue. Yes, and just further to your point there, first half stats, 13 attempts, 5 on goal for Western United in the first half, 5 and 0 for the Raw, even though the Raw had 55% of possession in that first half. Adam, does that tell you anything? Uh, it tells me that there's a lot of needless possession, a lot of you know, passing in the back, back line, and a lot of... You know, going forward and going backwards. That, that's what that tells me because uh, at the end of the day, if you're going to have that much possession, if you're actually effectively attacking, that shots on goal number and shots on target should be a lot higher than 8-1. and one. So what that tells me simply is that, that Western United were happy to sit back, let the raw, pass around the back line, pass it into the you know, have, have the midfielders play it out. Um, they'll either, as soon as they get boxed in, they'll, they'll pass it back or it'll be a turnover. So um, it just at the moment, it seems that there just seems to be a lack of penetration, cutting edge into into sort of you know to any real sort of attack. Um, and I think that comes down to sort of senior players, you know, and the and the lack of you know creativity almost from that. You know, a guy like a Jay O'Shea, you know, really needs to um, sort of take some chances. You know, really start you know opening up up the game. And uh, I think also as well. Um, Losing Jack Hingard as well, I think that being, you know, I think having his width in at the right wing-back role, I also think that was a contributing factor, because as we saw against Adelaide, a lot of attack was coming down that right-hand side. Uh, you, and, you know, you bring Josh Brindle South in, he's a very, very different type of player, especially when they're playing a back four. Actually, just on that um, as well, what you were saying is, it's nothing against Kai and I just... I feel like he's a better uh, suited centre-back than he is um, a right full-back. And, you know, he does have the legs to, you know, patrol up and down that sideline. But it does feel like he was a little bit um, put out of place, perhaps, trying to fill in that right-back role. And maybe, you know, you could have seen a Josh Brindle South or a Nick Olsen coming in from the start. I would love to know why Olsen was wearing 57 on the day, by the way. But, uh, yeah, those injuries really did seem like... Even Definitely. Neville's played more right back as well. Yeah, when he was in his younger days. But also, just talking about um, those combinations as well with the raw, I thought it was going to be a case of having more players, like still finding their footing in uh, Brisbane. But looking at the numbers, so you've got uh, Freak, who okay, he was a backup last year, but it is a change in role for him coming into the starting lineup. Milnaric, Ivanovic, uh, Miloyuznic, and Lascano. So that's four changes, but seven guys who were there last year and should know um, should should know how to approach it. But it just felt like they weren't able to take advantage of the opportunities, and that's what it boils down to for me. But again, that's just me. I'm only the host. Scott, what about you? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Okay. Well, <laughs> yeah, look, we could keep going on this uh, game, but... 
think all we've really uh, got to say as well is... We should um, talk about the um, subs who came on. They made a bit of, they didn't make much of an impact. I thought it was good to see Parsons get more of a significant game time, wasn't it, given we haven't seen much of him this year. Well, yeah. Okay, that is actually a very good point, Scott, and I'm glad you're on the ball. Um, yeah. I, I try to be. Well, look, the three subs that I really thought brought something attacking-wise, Olsen's, Parsons, and Lofthouse, it seems like they're the guys who, look, maybe because they are you know, coming off the bench, they're feeling like they've got something to prove. So they've at least got that uh, little bit more free reign mentally to really go after um, go after things and try and make things happen. I saw like, the Raw shared that clip on their socials about um, Lofthouse getting by Risden and looking to take on attackers. He's had, he's had some good moments, but I'm not quite sure fitness-wise they're in a position where you're able to count on them for 90 minutes. Adam? What do you think of the subs? Yeah, look, uh, they they brought something different. Um, very very hard to expect a Alex Parsons or a Jez Lofthouse to you know completely change the game. And as much as we'd like to hope that, um, the reality is is that they're still young players. They're still learning. And when you got a very disciplined, um, you know, defence from West United, I think we also got to give them a little bit of credit as well. That uh, the defence was you know very very solid as well and didn't give give away much as well you know when you got players like a Neil Kilkenny you know really sort of you know patrolling the back four and then I thought um, Tomoki Amai as well for and Nicola Topol Stanley were very very good for uh, Western United and uh and yeah, I think it's it's very hard to expect you know young players like a Parsons or a Lofthouse to sort of you know to really you know create a positive impact as far as you know getting on the score sheet or creating you know you know guilt edge chances against seasoned veterans like that. So um, look, but what they did, I thought was um, it was productive. But again, I think it's endemic of a bigger issue with um, the raw in offense at the moment. Yeah, and they don't even have the excuse of travel. Uh, same-day travel for this game because they quite smartly, I thought, um, changed their plans due to the border opening early, heading down Friday, spending a couple of days down in Victoria and then coming home on Monday where they didn't actually have to quarantine. So, I suppose, you know, the question now is, do they have the players there to turn things around? And I would say my faith in their ability to do that has dropped a little bit. But I'm still not ready to completely rule them out in terms of getting things back on track over the next few games. Scott, what about you? I think there's still a path to do this. If you think back, chance they all have had squads like this in the past, where there's a lot of discussion about the younger players in the squad. Are they, are they up to it? Are they not? I think it's up to the senior players to provide a really solid foundation for the young players to excel. You think back about what 10, nearly 15 years ago now, James, the um, the Frank Farina sides, which had, you know, the young you had the um, young guys like the um, Luke Devere and the Mitch Nichols and then all the wingers, Cruz, Zulo, Minnick and Tommy Orr coming through and providing a great spark. But when you think back, the experienced players had around them, the guys like your Craig Moores, your Danny Tiados, your Sergio Van Dykes, the Matt McKay's, they really stood up and were really solid key foundational players that were the, the spine and the heartbeat of that side that allowed the young guys to stand up. I think they all can do something similar here, James, when they're fully healthy it's going to be the senior players who drive it though and they're the ones you got to look at to to really set that standard and provide the the backbone to allow the young guys to come in whether it's a Lofthouse a, a, a Cyrus Demi an Alex Parsons or whoever it ends up being to come in and just express themselves and play naturally I think that's what that's what their role needs to be and it's the senior players who provide the the backbone for the allow that to happen so there is a path to doing it but across the board there's going to need to be a pretty big improvement yeah, I tend to agree. I think it's more of a case of they just need just need a boost in confidence. Um, just something to happen, a game situation, um, like a a winning goal or you know something like that. Just just to boost the confidence. Because to me, it's a side that looks a little bit down in confidence. Um, three, you know, winless this season. You know, three losses in the last four, all away, mind you. So maybe you know, being at home in front of their home crowd might be what the spark they need to sort of you know to really sort of you know get the season back underway for them. Um, because look, there's no way a sugarcoat. It has been a disappointing start. You can make all the excuses and whatnot, but end of the day, one point out of a possible twelve. Um, it's 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 a very very slow start, but. 
with with its raw side of the last couple of years, they have been slow starters. So obviously, they yeah, just need something to kick along the season, something a, a watershed moment to be able to you know get on the get on the board, get that first win, and then kick off there. But I agree with Scott as well. It's the senior players that got to start it, and then the young players will find the confidence to then you know be themselves rather than you know trying to play well beyond their years. Couldn't have said it better myself, Adam. And because of that. We're going to wrap up our A-League men's recap with the 3-2-1 player of the year votes. We are up to round four for the Brisbane Roar. And I believe since it is round four, it will be my turn to do my 3-2-1 votes. All three of us have casted um, our selections for the game, but only I will be announcing it this week. Uh, three points, Anton Molnarich. I thought he was the best of the bunch on uh, the week. Some very desperate defending. Macklin Freak had a couple of good saves as well and not a whole lot you could really say uh, was his fault for that goal. And then Alex Parsons, uh, he gets the one point um, from me for the match. And I really can't be bothered elaborating on that any further. So let's move on uh, to the other round four results. Melbourne City 1-0 over Perth. Newcastle 4-0 over Wellington. That was a demolition of the highest order. Victory 2-1 in Adelaide. That was a big win for Tony Popovich. MacArthur 2-0 over Western Sydney, who had them leading the way after the opening month. And then a a big boil over. Central Coast 2-0 over Sydney. So all I will say, uh, just actually my final point on the men's team, I think we should be very glad that uh, Carl Robinson and Steve Corica are taking some of the heat off Warren Moon at the moment because, yeah, I I kind of feel like if those two sides weren't struggling, the raw what's wrong with the raw would probably be the main headline right now. And well, we're still optimistic that it is something that can be fixed um, just with one little break going their way, but we'll just have to find out. Now on to the A League women Friday night, Parc de Paris, two thousand two hundred and thirty nine people were there in the crowd and well if it felt like a little bit of deja vu from the week before that's probably because it was because uh it was another late goal for perth this time alana yanchevsky's uh deflected strike gave perth all three points in the rematch and scott adam you guys were there i caught up with the game on replay one change to the 11 near stamatopoulos uh made her debut in the starting 11 was it most uh, pretty much the same story from the game in Perth, Adam? Uh, pretty much carbon copy. Except uh, Raw didn't get the early goal, which put pressure on. Um, it was a real slug, slugfest out there. Um, and again, it just was one of those games where one chance decided all. And um, Eli Yansevsky's uh, shot, which was deflected heavily by Mario Hecker, which... Uh, which floated over a diving Georgina Worth, and that was uh, all she wrote. And also as well, same sort of um, pattern as far as Lisa Devanna, again, going down with injury. But this one looks a lot more serious than it was last week. Well, that is unfortunate. Um, but on that as well, like, if you do want to link the men's side to the women's, it's one thing that I think both of these sides could benefit from is quite literally just having a deflection go their way, similar to what happened for Perth on uh, Friday night. It feels like for this side, all they need is just one of those chances uh, to be converted on, and it feels like something might uh, start to click for them. Yeah, I think, so, I think the, with the A-League women's side, James, there's a lot. there are very good chances being created. We saw Leroy did create a lot of good opportunities on Friday, and I thought Mario Hecker created a couple of really good chances, particularly in the first 15, 20 minutes, Leroy did come out quite strongly, but when your luck is out, your luck is out. And with this side at the moment, it's very, very clear that their luck is is completely out given what happened at the back end of Game 1 with that unfortunate goal. Then the deflection for the goal for Jancesky on Friday night when it was looking like it was going to be a nil-all result. But they, they are playing quite well and they're creating some opportunities. So there is some optimism, some hope around, around the women's side. It's just they just need that bounce of luck to go their way and hopefully it'll happen this week. We can only hope... Um since I'm throwing two press conferences a little bit earlier in the segment, let's hear what Gareth McPherson had to say in the presser after the match. Uh, Gareth, pretty good performance there, but a late soccer punch in the end, unfortunately. Yes. Um, it, yeah, I, it's, it's, it sucks. <laughs> I don't know how to put it. It stings. It really does. Um, I think we 
felt that we've probably created enough chances across the two two games to take points, but we need to learn the back end of games are uh, really important, and um, we continue to work to be better. Uh, you made a fast start in the first five, ten minutes. Was that some of the instructions you gave the side going out there, make a fast start, put them on the back foot from the start? Uh, not really. It's just a group of players that we have. That they want to play a, an energetic, a, a positive game. Um, their batteries are always charged up. They're, they're fit. So they, that's, that's, that's in there. We, we, we want to play fast uh, all, all times. Our first start today for Nia, how do you think that she went in the midfield? She did well. Nia, has, she's been out of um, football for a while, both with some um, surgery and then follow the COVID lockdowns in Victoria. So for her, her first 50, 55 minutes back at this level in probably two years, uh, for a 19-year-old kid, I thought she was exceptional. And just like for me, um, Isabella thought it was announced today. What are you looking for from her in terms of bringing to the squad? Experience. Experience. We, we are a side with, with not a lot of experience at this level. Izzy has two or three seasons, lots of games. Uh, and so that, that, that's probably the most important thing she provides. She also provides depth across the back line. Just uh, one last question. Katrina Gorey, how far away is she from starting? Pretty close now. Pretty close now. We've, um, we've, we've been... We, we made, I needed to make a decision whether or not we waited for her to be ready to start and, and use training sessions and training games to get her ready. Uh, but I think also given her the experience back out there, coming back um, after Harper, um, it's been important. So you can see tonight uh, that there's a vast improvement from last week to this week. And I, I she, she's pretty close now. Pretty close, yeah. All right, that was Gareth McPherson and... I'll get your opinions on this, starting with you, Scott, because you were in the room. How downcast was he? He seemed... I think he was more frustrated with the fact that it, that they um they considered a late goal again and that they played pretty well once again. I think he was quite quite happy with his with the side's performance, but as you heard there, but again, it's just, they just need that goal, don't they? They just needed the goal. It, wasn't, it was only ever going to be one goal in it, the way the game was going. It didn't go their way, but I think he was relatively happy with a lot of what they were doing. Yeah, I think a nil all would have been a fair a fair result. Um, it would have been some reward for efforts. Um, so, so yeah, that that, that uh, late goal was a real sucker punch, and yeah, you know, and that's the sort of stuff that yeah you know, the side can't afford to dwell on. I know uh, Mariel Hecker was fairly downcast after the game, as you would expect. Um, you know, there's not much, not much you could do. Um, it's just one of those freak things. Uh, but, but yeah, they can't really dwell on too much because, as, as Scott said, and I, I tend to agree, is that the side is playing well enough. Um, they just, just need some breaks to go their way. Um, but they've got a very, very tough assignment. Um, you know, this, this Saturday, um, which may, may not um, sort of help as far as confidence go. It may not, but just on um, Hecker as well. We've seen her in the NPL for the last few seasons. Like, she is known to wear her emotions on her sleeve, and like, but I do think as well, like, she does have that maturity where she will be able to bounce back quickly. And I wouldn't be too worried about that uh, lingering and damaging her confidence as well, because, well, let's be honest, she is a very, very good player. And I do also think, from what I've seen, they really are starting to take note of her in the A League women's competition as well, to the point where. Like they're now actively having to go and um, shut her down, Scott. I think that's very much the case. Isn't it? Mariel Hecker last year was they, people probably heard a lot about her from her exploits in the NPL Queensland up here, but they didn't really know what her game was about. Now that they've got tape on her and they've seen just what a quality footballer Mariel is, they certainly are targeting her this year. And even despite the that person was actively trying to shut her down, Mariel continues to be the um the the league creative outlet for this side, and it's creating some really good opportunities so despite the fact there's more pressure on her this year it's she's still contributing quite nicely in the opening couple of weeks it's just it's interesting because a lot of these players they they win a lot of games they've, they've they've been winners for the last couple of years and they haven't really had runs like this particularly with the, the Lions players I'm thinking of. they haven't really gone through situations like this. so it'd be very interesting to see how they do respond to this because it's not something that they're used to well there we go um, we will keep moving because we do have some big news stories to touch on or at least one very big uh news story player of the year votes for the women scott i believe it is your turn given that it is round two yep it is and the first, first three I, I, 
As I said, I thought Mariel Hecker was outstanding on Friday night. So three for Mariel Hecker, two for Jesse Raskin at the back with another really good performance, and one for Trina Gorey, who showed a lot more off the bench this week than she did last week, getting back to to match sharps. As you would expect, the more match sharpness um, Katrina gets, the better. She's going to be. I thought she took a big step forward on Friday night. Sounds good. Uh, Adam, you were involved in the Raw Core shirt presentation after the match. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, we sort of, uh, on behalf of all of us, not just me, uh, we we decided to uh, get in on the Raw Core's uh, sponsorship of uh, to... to uh, sponsor a player with uh, a shirt so I got to present uh, our our contribution to Meg McGilligan so that was a, a, a fun night and that was actually I think it was a really nice touch um, I think for the side of, it would have been probably at the start of the um, I guess the presentation I'm, I'm sure that if it was on a winning note it would have been a lot better but you can at least see that the players you know they, they got a kick out of it and I think they at least they know that you know if nothing else the support is behind is behind them they're on their side and I think um, the Raw Corps plays such an important role as well as far as you know that support and whatnot and you know for any of these fools in the other part in the other part of the league saying oh that their their supporter group is the best in the in the A-League women. No, you're wrong. You're just wrong. It you is the Raw Core first, Daylight second. I don't care what you're saying. They're all trying to copy the Raw Core, aren't they? They, they are the original, and like I said, and that's, there's no doubt in my mind that the Raw Core are the best uh, supporter group in the A-League women's, bar none. Yep, absolutely. Um, and I should also point out, Meg McElliott, who also was a one-time interviewee on the uh, NPL Sunday show, I'm going to give one of you... I'm going to see if you two can remember when her guest spot would have been. Oh, jeez. <laughs> it's obviously you spoke to her, obviously, so you remember I thought, this. I thought um, it, might have been, uh, it might have been last year. After she, after she scored wasn't the goal. Wasn't with the uh, Logan Lightning? It was when she was with Logan Lightning, yes. And she was also... Well, it was technically a double interview with another player who was playing in the A-League women's. It was Keely Richards and Meg McGilligan oh, after the right. uh, NPL Women's semi-final yeah. uh, down at Talabudra last November, where McGilligan, of course, scored the only goal of that match, which I actually went back and watched a few months ago when we were in that uh, NPL shutdown in August, and that was a really good game. Like, in terms of just proper entertainment, that was as gripping of a 1-0 game as you will find. Gold Coast like had their chances, but... Yeah, Logan executed everything to perfection. I want to say Katie McDonald um, was huge for Logan on that night. Anyway, I'm going to stop reminiscing because, well, we do plenty of NPL coverage and that will be coming along uh, before too long. Other round two results from the A-League women's. Newcastle 5-1 over Wellington. Sydney 2-0 in their derby over Western Sydney. Victory claimed the women's derby 2-1 and Adelaide 2-1 over Canberra. So... And a little note there, only two sides failed to score in the A-League Women's this weekend. Now, we've got, uh, quickly, we'll touch on the NPL uh, transfer news. Zach Kierpal has gone to Olympics, so Adam is, uh, well, I thought he would have been wearing all black today in morning, yes. Uh, But he is not. Uh, Jordan Farina from Lions to Brisbane Strikers, so some attacking moves there for those clubs. FFA Cup, the Raw will play Sydney FC after the latter won their tie against... It was MacArthur, wasn't it? Yes. It was MacArthur. Uh, that will be played December 22nd at Cogra. We will be down at Gold Coast Knights that night to watch Scott McDonald's managerial debut against Melbourne Victory. And former Raw player and someone who I think everyone here would have heard of, Thomas Broich is going to become the head of methodology at Hertha Berlin. I honestly don't know what that uh, role will exactly entail, but I assume, given it's a German club, it will be highly efficient, and uh, Thomas Breutsch's coaching credentials continue to grow. Uh, The other small news note, Soccer is Vietnam confirmed for Melbourne. That will be on January 27th, the World Cup qualifier. Um, Scott, in a a sentence, or a very, very quick phrase, describe uh, how important that match is for the Socceroos? All or nothing. Adam? Uh, impressive that half the stadium is resold out. So Fair enough. Obviously, the, the <laughs> Melbourne supporters are getting behind the Socceroos. But yeah, I agree with Scott. 
It's all or nothing. Yeah. For me, it's win or go home. If they can't get all three points from that game, then... Forget Qatar. Forget Qatar. If they can't win that, it's over. Yeah. Start planning Christmas holidays. All right. um, Now, the big story that we do want to spend quite a bit of time of, that broke on, I want to say, Tuesday morning? Um, It was officially confirmed on Tuesday morning, but it kind of has been leaking out in the last week or so. So, the Australian uh, Premier League, or APL, have sold a one-third stake in the competitions to uh, Silver Lake Private Equity for what will be a hundred million US, which, based on my calculations, will be just over 130 million Australian. And, um, yeah, that is going to be very interesting in terms of where that money is going to go. But first things first, the opinion of the sale. Now, Silver Lake, they were trying to get involved in New Zealand rugby uh, last year. But look, if you do want to take the overly positive um, angle here, like that's a pretty big sign of faith from Silver Lake that they are going to try and invest in Australian football in a time where, let's be honest, you are trying, you are really looking at buying low, Adam. Yeah, look, um, Silver, Silver Lake, for those who don't, who are not accustomed with the Australian Finance Review or even sort of, you know, no sort of anything about That's it. That's me. No, yeah. uh, Silver, Silver Lake do, they they own a part of of City, uh, of City Football Group, also involved with uh, Madison, um, Madison Square Garden Sports, who are the owners of the New York Rangers and New York Knicks and the NBA, and also as well have a stake in TEG, who I believe own ticket tech so they've got a vast but they're their um but their main sort of uh i guess expertise is is a uh, you know technology and obviously you know that whole you know, marketing that goes with so the, dig- the digital side thing so it sounds like um where silver lake will bring their expertise is i guess you know in in the short term would be to really ramp up the digital side of the of the Australian professional leagues, you know, being being you know more more sort of resources for, so I guess for the keep up uh, website app, uh, and also as well probably support for the the clubs as well as far as getting that that reach out, and, you know, they, they sort of they say that it's a, it's about you know the content directly to the fan. Scott. Yeah, I think that's definitely that's going to be what they had to work on. But, I mean, this is something that has been coming for a little while. And the positive is, James, is that it's another a big corporation prepared to invest in Australian football. We obviously saw that CBS took a took a stake as well. I think at one point when they... Did, that, did they not take a small stake as well? 5%, 5%. Is that what you're saying? So, so there's two big groups here now who have a vested interest in growing the game here in Australia. The interesting thing will be is what they do with that capital now that it's into the league. And that's the discussion that we should have, is what they do with this. I think what you're talking about in terms of growing that digital platform and the marketing and the engagement, that absolutely needs to happen. But there's also a few other things they should probably look at as well, which we might talk about. Okay, well, I've just found this uh, story on Keep Up, which actually feeds... There's a line here that feeds right into it. It's as important, though, to note what the money is not for. It won't go straight into the pockets of owners who have already invested millions of dollars themselves, nor will it feed directly to the players or coaches or administrators. In short, this is a war chest that Australian football has never really had to fund a long-term program of digital-first engagement with fans through the clubs, through the grassroots, and through myriad lines of digital communication. So, I see your uh, thing there, Scott, but for me, it feels like this is basically taking away what we've heard for the last 15 or so years, is that the development of the platform of the A-Leagues is under-resourced. Yeah, and the good thing is that that's exactly what you hope would happen, is that this doesn't just get divided up 12 or 13, most of you include Canberra, and the money goes to the clubs to spend how they see fit. It's, I think it's much more important that this is used strategically to grow the league back to where we want it to get to, where it's kind of slipped away from in the last few years. So it's good that they're being strategic about how they're going to use it, James. And I think the digital platform is something that they have got to get right. We've seen with Keep Up, it's had its own, it had its issues to, as, in terms of startup, but that can get better, and they can certainly resource it quite well. I think improving the platform that Channel Ten has spoken about the issues around that. Look at into all that again. So there's things that they can improve, and I think that's a much more prudent way about going about it, instead of just giving it to the owners and then letting them do what they wish with it. 
for sure, Adam. Yeah, no, that would have been the first mistake. Um, would have been just saying, okay, they've they've raised one hundred and thirty million dollars worth of capital, so let's divide it thir- thirteen ways, ten million to each club. So I can bet you what a number of club owners would do, whether they want to admit it or not, is up to them. But I think that would have been the worst possible outcome to happen. I know there's been sort of you know sort of. Uh, thoughts about spending money on marquee players or, and stuff like that. Look, I think that's the wrong way of spending it. I think the most important thing at the moment for the A-Leagues and for football in Australia in general is to build the infrastructure around the league so it can be a success where it's almost foolproof that you know that you can that you can own a club or be part of a club and that there will be some side of success and the only success that the owners and the clubs have to worry about other than obviously you know the basic financials is wins or losses on the pitch and that's the main thing if you have the infrastructure around them then everything else will fall into place yeah and on that as well adam is the fact that i i can imagine plenty of clubs would have would have very easily um been able to make the case of we've been you know, getting royally reamed by the, you know, unfortunate uh, situation of the pandemic for the last 20 plus months now, where, you know, they've been forced to do it tough. They've been forced to, you know, shrink operating costs wherever possible. They've been forced to, you know, take many a financial hits as, uh, you know, they try and f- still find ways to uh, make the competition go. And I could have very easily seen several owners saying, well, this is going to at least stabilize the books. Truth be told, I wouldn't have any objections if, say, a small sum, say, you know, a million dollars went to each of the clubs just to help them stabilise their books. But, you know, if they need it, of course. Um, um, I was going to say that, you know, just talking a bit out of school into my other world, that would be the absolute worst decision that could be made to to use that as an excuse to fund it because I see it in in my world you know in transport and logistics is that how the how at the moment that and we're starting to see it mainstream how basically there's chaos in the supply chain and that's because the shipping lines are out there basically recouping costs from the losses from years and years of having zero pretty much you know having s- small uh, really cheap shipping rates and all of a sudden now because of the pandemic and you know absolutely over demand they're basically you know cashing in so to say that the, to give the clubs a donation to say or oh, to stabilize where where does it end so i'm, I'm glad that you now there's at least a bit, I, know, I know the clubs do own the, the australian professional leagues but also as well at least there's some restraint and that, that they understand very clearly you know what that money is for and it's not to line the owners pockets if they want to make money, they've got to find their way to do it. Yes, and on that um, point as well, as you, as I teed you up for that and you are now teeing me up for this, it sounds like some of these funds are actually getting earmarked by Football Australia to try and launch, uh, to try and support the clubs through a national second division, Scott. Yes, now that that's something that we need to come out. I think it's, that's been on the cards for a while and then obviously now that this has come through and the funding is there for it, It'd be fantastic, wouldn't it? I mean, it sounds like it could start as soon as 2023, James, which would be absolutely fantastic. If we can get the second division up and running, and I'll be again. We'll talk we can, when, if and when it is next. We can talk more about how and what it might look like. But it's something that I think there's a lot of aspirational clubs out there, and I think it is the missing link, isn't it? It, it could be, and it should be, the thing that links the whole game back together again. And if we can get that up and running, even even if it takes an extra five years beyond the start update to get it to the point where we can have promotion and relegation out of it and into the A-League, but if we can get it up and running, it would be a massive, massive benefit for the whole game, and it would create a great lasting legacy from this equity income, wouldn't it? For me, you can't have a second division without announcing uh, promotion and relegation. It doesn't need to be done straight away. You might say, all right, look, we're not going to introduce it for five years because a lot of these clubs are going to be undertaking a fairly hefty... Um, financial uh, commitment. The PFA uh, cost. Well, well, so the AAFC had a study that said clubs could run on two and a half million dollars per season, which the PFA uh, costed it closer to five point four million. And I know who I, I trust on the figures on that too. By the way, and I well, I was going to say the truth is probably somewhere in the middle, but I'm going to guess it would be 
uh, weighted very heavily towards the PFA's overall figure. It may be four and a half, it may be five. But either way, compare that to the operating costs of an A-League club, which I feel like would be, you know, pure stab in the dark. It would be at least double that, if not more for quite a lot of those sides, especially when it comes to stadium rental, knowing what the Raw were paying on uh, Suncorp. Yeah, well, the um, A-League salary cap, isn't it? What, what teams are spending more players somewhere close to, to that alone, aren't they? No, but when you add in marquee players and players outside the cap and scores all the rest of it, it's probably up and and including the women's side as well, James. Got, as well, it's, it'll be up there at least, at least at that five million. So I would be at least double, I would imagine, maybe even closer to to fifteen. For sure. But my my whole point on that then though is, give the second division clubs a chance to stabilise, find their footing in this new environment because it's not going to just be a glorified NPL. It is going to allegedly be another professional competition but you need to commit and say all right if it starts in 2023 by by 2027 we're going to be uh seeing the last place club in the a league which will hopefully be at 16 teams by that point um maybe the last two clubs in the a league will go down to the uh, national second division or at the very least the bottom one and then the second last place side can engage in a playoff whatever the final promotion relegation structure is you need to announce it from the start because otherwise especially if you do have um teams jumping up from npl to the nsd it does then become a potential issue there where the a-league still does like it still then looks even further out of place and for me it's not a case of an either or that's what does seem to be lost uh, to a lot of the fans online where it's got to be an nsd or the a-league you need both of them to really get this off the ground. And that's where I kind of feel like, you know, you really need to make that clear from the outset that these two competitions are going to be working in conjunction with each other rather than in opposition to one another. Well, that's just the one, the one point I'd like to make about the uh, National Second Division is that, again, the same premise of why I said at the top on this discussion about it's not about... This, this money is not about lining clubs' pockets. It's not it's not there to go and spend, you know, a couple of million dollars on on raiding the best talent. It's there it's there for the infrastructure of the league. You know, like I said, the clubs have still gotta put pitch in and they've still gotta, you know, you know, sort of you know to, to make their own way. Which makes the whole um, thing about the AAFC's funding it's for how they were going to fund this league before the Silver Lake money came became an issue. You know whether that was commercially viable or not. Because at the end of the day, I'm I'm all I'm all for say for example this money being used by Football Australia to say for example to to subsidise travel because we know that's going to be the biggest cost. But that doesn't mean to say then oh that again you don't go and hand out you know you know. Say, say there's 14 clubs, you don't hand, you know, a million dollars to each and say, oh, go go and, you know, get your side together and make the comp quite professional. That's up to the clubs to do that. You know, it's about, it's about building the foundation and building the infrastructure around that league to ensure that it meets its primary objectives. But it's not an excuse for the clubs to then go, oh, well, I'm going to pocket that money and spend it how I want. That, again, would be a big dire mistake that we'll see the death of this league. And... The reason why I wanted to bring this up as well, and I'm sure you guys will have uh, your thoughts too, is the fact that it is worth remembering Football Australia does still have uh, a stake in the APL as well. So they are, they will be getting a share of this money, if I am reading that correctly, Scott. They they do, and they also had to sign off on this as well. They do have a clause in, inserted when the league separated that, that for the good of the game clause, that if they, something they don't like, they can override. So they... Approved of this. The other thing that we're talking about the national second division. The other thing that has come out that they are looking to create as soon as possible is a women's FFA Cup as well. So that's the other piece of piece of um competition they're looking to create as well. So it's not just the second division they're looking for. There's other competitions as well. So I think that's I think it was important to mention that as well. Uh, but I do little... think there is you're right. The FFA or Football Australia do have the um, override clause to to um uh, to veto or to not or allow these sorts of things. And also, perhaps another very important question too, um, for the like women's national cup, whatever they want to call it, um, 
Who would all the raw players play for? Would it be? I was going well, to ask gonna, you that question. Because <laughs> this is the point I was going to bring up. Around the country, who do these players play for? It's an well, excellent question. This is the point Tell I was going right to actually bring up. Is that until until the uh, A League women actually play pretty much a mirror competition to the men, which I think is an aspiration eventually. Um, look, I actually don't think that the the A League women clubs should actually be in any said proposed um, women's. F- FFA Cup. I actually think that it should be for the clubs because of the nature of you know play of the players who both play both MPL and and um, in the A League women. I think I actually think that you know at least in its infancy it should be solely a na- national Premier League's cup. And then you know maybe once there's a bit more separation and when the women are truly professional as far as they are playing 26 games a season. Then maybe then you could include them, but I, I think if for uh, the um, FFA Women's Cup to go ahead and be be a fair dinkum competition, I think the A League Women's clubs shouldn't be involved. Well, maybe James, that's where they they actually do draw the line and say, All right now, you can't go back and play in the MPL for an MPL club. You've got to be one or the other. Maybe that's where they do have to do that. And, and when they because they are looking to align the calendars as well, James. So maybe. Maybe this is the sort of steps they have to take before they can launch that competition, but this might be the thing that says, right, if you play for an A-League women's team, you can't go play NPL. Maybe this is the thing that will trigger that. And to Adam's point, they need to be compensated correctly if they do choose to go down that path. Yeah, and that is also where I would um, say I applaud the initiative, but like a lot of things, there are plenty of questions surrounding it. Um, back to the APL and their digital platform, like we've all tried keep up so far i feel like my biggest uh gripe with it i'm you know learning where everything is on it um still a few things that i would like to see but we've talked about this it feels like the biggest issue i'm finding is just a lack of content you look at some of the way that a lot of these other uh sporting websites are run you look at you know the premier league the premier league clubs all of this other stuff um even some of the other sports we follow nfl nba Maybe not Major League Baseball because they're in a lockout right now. But um, yeah, don't some go the... to their website; it's useless. <laughs> at the moment. I don't know. There's a lot of wonderful archive stuff there and just generic content. But anyway, you look at all of that. There is a much more steady flow of content, and I really do hope that this is what is going to be uh, the, I suppose, the basis of a lot of this stuff as well. And you know, you'll get a lot of that uh, written content. I think between the three of us, I'm just talking to you guys. I came up with a case for, at the very least, five pieces of written content per club, per week, per team. So, ten, ten all up for the uh, senior teams that should be going out every week. Scott? Yeah, I think we've talked about this before off, haven't we? I mean, look, I think they have done, I think they've done sort of an update to keep up because it does seem a lot more easy to use, particularly on a computer, but... You mentioned in terms of what the I think your argument about five pieces of content about each team per week I think is really really valid and there's still too much content about other competitions on there for my liking. Yeah. I mean, when you mentioned the Premier League, the NFL, and the NBA, when you go to those websites, you don't see stuff about Serie A, NBL, or the Canadian Football League, do you? You don't see stories about those competitions on there, but on Keep Up you do. I get what they're trying to go for, but for the league's official website. I think they've got to have much more content about the league and the teams geared on that website about the teams, promoting that as opposed to some of the other stuff. So I think that may be something they have to look at. Yeah, but conversely, I would also say you need to, like, you need to make it clear what this website is. And for all, like, from what I can gather, this is basically a replacement for SBS The World Game, which was one of those, uh, you know all-encompassing uh, sites. So I have no problem with the level of coverage for, you know, Premier League, Serie A, Bundesliga, all of that, but you really do need to up the local content. And hopefully when the NPL season starts, we will see some of that stuff as well. Like Football Queensland, we've seen uh, doing written previews every week. Maybe that's something Keep Up can expand and aggregate a lot of the content from around the States. Yeah, oh, look, I agree with Scott. I'm, I, I really don't like the whole fact that the quote the official website of the league in keep up in its current form as far as you know having you know content from other competitions look if 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 keep up is there to fill the void of the world what the world game used to be fine but then there needs to be an aleagues.com.au 
Because I, I think trying to mix both, I think they're trying to have their cake and eat it, and I don't think it's hitting the right targets, in my opinion. Maybe, maybe the, um, maybe the sort of the the professionals at Silver Lake or whoever's consulting on that, and you know those who got marketing degrees, you know, from four different you know Ivy League universities, might might tend to differ. But from from a, as a fan, I find it very confusing to go and keep up, and I'm seeing stories. About and headline stories about what's going on in the Premier League, but I have to search for what's going on in the A leagues. And like I said, if they want to, if they want to replace the world game, that's fine. But then you need an A league.com.au, which you actually go to as the official source of the league. Yep, that's fair. But again, that's also one of those points where knowing that this is one of those things that they are starting off, um, you know, looking at digital engagement. It could also be that we wind up having, you know, fan- like the fantasy, uh, an all-encompassing fantasy platform on there as well. And it could wind up in, like, I'm just thinking off the top of my head right now, you know, similar to the way that Fantasy Premier League works, you could have, you know, European Fantasy League. So maybe you have Robert Lewandowski as your striker, Kevin De Bruyne as your midfielder. I, I don't know. I'm just honestly thinking out loud and saying that could be a place where we uh, see... Adam? Yeah, just one one last thing. I just thought of when you uh, did that, that one. I think one thing that also as well that I think may help the league, which I know actually Silver Lake actually does have a stake in, is Fanatics, which is sporting cards. You see every other league around you know, around the world, and you know, see in Australia, the NRL, AFL, you know, they they have you know, play, like the, the trading cards, but we don't see that in the A League. So maybe that they've might had be. Them in the, they've had them in the past, Adam. I can assure you that because I've got a couple of sets of them, but. Yeah, it's been it's been, it's been once, but they haven't years. had it for a few years. Mm. Yeah. Well, either way, like I was, I'll give myself the final thought on this if you guys don't mind. Like for me, the most encouraging part of all, all of this so far is the fact that everyone involved is recognizing this is a long-term rebuilding project instead of an overnight quick fix. That's been the common theme in all of the quotes that have been distributed, whether from Paramount, uh, CBS, whether it's from the A leagues themselves, or now uh, from Silver Lake, they know that this is something that is going to take a whole lot of work because look, the last five years have done quite a lot of damage to the brand of Australian football. And it's good they are going down that path because there are certain media commentators out there who are advocating for short-term sugar fixes and as we've seen, they don't work. They just don't work. They, they might give you a short-term boost, but long-term they don't work. Yeah. You, ne- you, need, to find, you need to find it all though because you need to do, give yourself some sort of short-term boost, though, because it hasn't been an ideal start to the new season, all up, no, I would say. But a couple say, of but... marquee players in Sydney and Melbourne aren't going to fix it, are they? No, but I do think that it is going to provide something, at least. But anyway, that's a debate for another time. Let's move on to our weekend preview, and it's a doubleheader out at Morton Daly Stadium. The women are taking on Melbourne Victory, and overall, they do have a fairly solid record, but based on how things are shaping up. Adam, is there any hope for the Roar in this game? Oh, jeez. It's, it's, it's going to be tough. Um, you're supposed to say there is always hope in football. Well, yeah. If you're, well, look at it that way, but yeah, it's uh, it, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be tough. There's, uh, you know, like I said, uh, Melbourne Victory, they're, they're operating a, a, you know, a really, you know, a really high level at the moment. You know, you've got some world-class players, you know, Alex Shidiak and, um, and uh, Lim Williams, they'll probably, you know, if they don't start, they'll actually, um, they'll probably come off the bench. And yeah, this is going to be a tough task. Just on paper alone, uh, it could be a long afternoon for uh, the Raw, unfortunately, but we live in hope. I think this is a, they played pretty well in the first couple of weeks, and as they've been pretty unlucky in, in the way these games have panned out, maybe it turns at the weekend. Let's hope it does, because they've played pretty well in the first couple of games, and they need to get some points on the ball quickly if they're going to challenge for a finals position. So this is a pretty big matchup there at Morton Daly Stadium Saturday afternoon. I think victory will probably just shade it, but I, I think they'll all have an opportunity to do something in this game, James, if they can continue to keep that belief and keep creating opportunities like they have in the first two games. I think this could be the game where, you know, we see how quickly that attack is going to be able to generate some confidence because we've said it all season, you know, that's going to be their path to getting any level of success this year. It's relying on those uh, super talented forwards that they've got. 
I would say in this situation, look, don't worry if you concede three or four. Try and score four or five yourself because that's like it. Just play to your strengths. That's really all you can do. Would you make? You're taking the argument I made last week. Yeah, I do what I can. I'm but I think, sure. I think if for the women, I think that would be that would be a very very relevant thing. You know, play their own game, not not the victory's game. Um, because for all the attacking talent that they have up front, like uh, Catherine Zimmerman has also been very very good for the victory in the first couple of weeks. Defensively, they're a little bit um, a little bit suspect with uh, with Kayla Morrison gone for the season. They their um, talismanic captain. So if there's going to be if there is a weakness about. Um, about Melbourne victory, it could be the defence. And even though Adelaide got absolutely wiped off the map a couple of weeks ago, they did they did actually produce um, a couple of golden opportunities. And you know, with some some more you know concise uh, and accurate shooting, they could have made a real contest to that, especially in the second half. There we go. All right, Scott, what are we going to be talking about from the A League women next week? Uh, first start back in the A League women's for Katrina Gorry in a standout performance, hopefully in a win. Anna. Uh, defending champs too good. Yeah, I'm going to have something similar. Raw go down swinging. And look, I would not be at all surprised if we're back here this time next week and we're saying, geez, you know, they lost, but there was really a lot to be happy with from that performance. I think that would be the most positive thing would be that even if they do lose, you don't, you don't want them to get, no. You know, beaten 5-0 that, you know, that the performance is what matters so. I don't think it'll get that bad I don't, I, I don't, I don't think, think they'll so get either. blown off the park I think it'll be a close game for sure and the second half of the Saturday doubleheader playing Perth it is 6.45 Brisbane time kickoff well I suppose the only real question for this game because we did go into this in quite a lot of detail Scott would you throw yep. Alex Parsons or Jez Lofthouse in from the start I'd make some changes Put it that way. I, would make, I, I know Warren Moon in his press conference earlier said that it's got to stick patient to, to what they're doing. I think they're going to make some changes actually in that front. Third. I don't think what they're doing is working. And if it's Parsons, if it's Lofthouse, whoever it is that they view as the player who can unlock the door in the front third, that's what they've got to bring in. They've got to make some changes now. Yeah, I, I think um, they've, got, they've got to make a decision on what they're going to do about Juan Lascano. You know, I think I think that it, it was a sort of an incomplete as far as his performance, his first game starting. Um, I think again, a very very stiff Western United uh, defence really didn't give much opportunity. That was also as well very, you know, a shutdown midfield. So it'd be interesting to see what they do. But I think Luka Vanovic has got to start somewhere as well. So um, yeah, but I certainly you. You certainly would not um, rule out the prospect of an Alex Parsons or even a Jez Lofthouse, at least, you know, coming on and at least starting. You know, even if it's 45 minutes as an imp- as a first-half impact, get that fast start. I think that's the main thing. The other question I would have as far as as the Raw goes is, uh, will will Corey Brown um, start? I think, uh, or will he play, you know, where, where's his injury at? Well, that's what I was going to bring up. If he's not available, I would. Be, I'd actually want to consider going back to the back three and this, and having the wing backs. And as, I, mean, I know I said I would start either Parsons or Lossas. I'm actually thinking maybe going against that now and just playing dual point if Ivanovic and Lascano as a pair up front and going back to that three-five-two formation, James. You could. That, very- although they don't have, if they don't have both Brown and Hingard available, that does make it a bit more dicey to play that way because they're two key players in that shape. So, Brindle South Nolson is a very, very interesting wing-back combination. It may not have a whole lot of A-League experience, but they are certainly capable players. We saw Brindle South come in and do quite like, a commendable job last season. And look, I am admittedly basing it largely off one preseason game, but I really like the look of Nick Olsen. He's got plenty of energy, and I think he could be a very good... Um, deputy for Corey Brown if um, he is called upon to play from the start. But for me, just looking at the starting lineup from last week, I would say if Corey Brown is unable to go, you keep it uh, fairly similar. You go Truen, Neville, Milnaric, and Olsen. And again, nothing against Josh Brindle South, but if you are looking for attacking dynamism, that's how you go for it. Um, midfield three, O'Shea, Daly, and Akbari. O'Shea, wasn't up for it last week, but I don't think he tends to have two shockers in a row. And then up front, Lascano, Ivanovic, and uh, keep Miliusinch's pace on the bench and bring in Parsons. That, that would be how I would start. 
and keep Macklin Freak in goal. Um, yeah, I, I don't think he's done anything to warrant getting benched just yet either. All right, uh, final thoughts, Scott? No, I think that could work. I, I also think the midfield might need to look at it. There's not a lot of options there, are there, in terms of players you can bring into that position at the moment. So they've got to stick with those three in there and hopefully they can find a bit of form. But that's another area. We haven't spoken too much about the midfield, but that's another area where they need a bit of improvement from. Adam? Um, yeah, I guess from the other side point of view, do we see Sturridge Mania hit Morton Daly Stadium? Um, Richard Garcia was quoted two weeks ago saying that... Uh, that he, he that he was destined to give um, storage minutes, so I wonder if that will also give the crowd a bit of a boost. Uh, obviously, the uh, the Eurosnob population might get a kick out of seeing Daniel Sturridge live and in person. And he's got plenty of clubs to, who, who can draw fans from. But what Rich Garcia did say, though, Adam, he said that he said that Daniel Sturridge's next game will be against Brisbane. He didn't say where or when. He said it would be against <laughs> Brisbane. For all we know, he's talking about in March or something back in Perth. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, look, I really do hope... But hopefully we do see the Euro snobs there on Saturday and help boost the crowd. Yeah. I would also like to say uh, I really hope that Sturridge plays, mostly because it is my work Christmas party on Saturday night and I will be at Morton Daly Stadium because I am just that dedicated. And, uh, yeah. If not, well, we'll see. Anyway, that's going to be it for this edition of the Brisbane Football Review. We overcame some technical issues to finally get you an episode so thank you Adam yeah thanks uh, guys thank you Scott good talk to you boys once again and thank you everyone for listening on Clutch Radio or through one of our podcast channels we'll be back next week to recap the doubleheader at Morton Daly Stadium get out there if you can it's shaping up to be a beautiful evening on Saturday and in the meantime we will uh, tell you to enjoy the football and we'll talk to you next Wednesday <laughs>